It is interesting to note that whereas the in the Rosh Hashanah service the person who seems to stand out is Avraham. He appears in the petition of the second of the Brachot of Rosh Hashanah Zichronot. He appears even in the body of the section of Zichronot that God remembers the covenant but at the end he's mentioned prominently in terms of our request for God to remember us favorably in this day of judgment to remember us as part of the covenant and we recall specifically the Akedah and Avram's ability to overcome his own kind uh, merciful qualities to do God's will we ask God to do similarly to overcome God's quality God's, overcome God's anger or God's truth God's concern with justice and, and truth to overcome with mercies and we actually end that section by again asking God to remember to remember the binding of Isaac the Akedah with mercy so it, I think it's fair to say that in the liturgy of Rosh Hashanah Abraham is, is very central What's interesting is that in the Torah readings of Rosh Hashanah, there were two Torah readings, two days of Rosh Hashanah, and two Haftarot. What's interesting is that the primary reading for Rosh Hashanah, we must remember that Rosh Hashanah in the Torah is one day, and for a certain time in the land of Israel was kept only one day. Exactly when it became two days in the land of Israel is not totally clear, but we know for sure it was one day at some point. Uh, what is the reading at this one day? So the Gemara says in Maseches Megillah, that one day Rosh Hashanah, we are reading Vashem Pokadet Sarah Kasher Amar. The Torah reading for Rosh Hashanah is God remembering or redeeming. Pokad is to remember and to save, to redeem. Sarah. The reading of the Akedah on the second day is when you have two days. You add, you continue as it were, because the Akedah is chapter 22. In Vashem Pokadat Sarah is chapter 21. So why is that the, the reading? Why is Hashem Pokadat Sarah? So if one thinks about the story of Sarah and Abraham, and the focus of that story is on the desire of Abraham and Sarah to have a child, and the child is necessary to continue Abraham's blessing that he receives in God's first communication, Avram is already 75 years old. Who's going to succeed Avram when he's, we first encounter him? Great father. Great father has no, has no heir. So the entire story of, of Avram and Sarah revolves around who shall succeed him. And what's interesting is Avram prays to God for a child, for an heir. He says, you've given me no, no, no successor. Eliezer of Damascus, he says in chapter 15, will inherit me. At first we think it might be his nephew Lot. But he never says, you never gave us a child. Avram never actually prays for Sarah at all throughout the entire narrative. But it's God actually who tells Avram in chapter 17, God says to Avram, Sarah is going to have a child. Sarah herself never even approaches God for a child. Sarah never prays for herself. Avram never prays for Sarah. It's God that says in chapter 17, but Sarah, your wife, will have a child. And in the next chapter, 
three messengers of God, angels, come to visit Abraham. And they ask him, where's your wife Sarah? She's in the tent. And Sarah can hear from where she is behind them. And she hears them saying that next year at this time, Sarah will have a child. And Sarah laughs. Sarah in disbelief. Apparently she's never heard this piece of news. Apparently Avram never told her. Even though in the previous chapter, God said, Sarah, your wife, will beget you a covenantal child. The covenant will be through Sarah's child. But Avram apparently didn't tell Sarah she's not aware of it. Then we have the story in chapter 20 where Avram comes to the town of Gerar and he says again, she's my sister and she's taken by Avimelech. She's my sister, she's not my wife. And Avimelech grabs her. Three chapters after God said to Avram, Sarah will beget your, will give birth to your covenantal child. So in chapter 21, Vashem Pokadet Sarah Kasher Amar, God is redeeming Sarah as God has spoken, and not just that, but in chapter 21, after Sarah gives birth, God says, Sarah sees Yishmael, Abraham's oldest, mitzachek, mocking or laughing, it's a negative connotation. She has says to Avram, throw the, the mother, Hagar, out with this boy. He can't inherit with my son, with Isaac. What she means by that is, as long as he's here, Isaac's succession to the covenant will never be clear to anybody. Not to Yishmael and maybe not to Avram either. But the matter was evil in Abraham's eyes on account of his son. It doesn't say on account of Yishmael. On account of his son, that means his son for Avram. Say the word, who is your son? The answer is Yishmael. His son is still Yishmael. In Vayera, the battle was very evil in Abraham's eyes. What does that mean? He has no intention of letting Yishmael or throwing Yishmael out, sending him away. He will not do it. And the next verse, God intervenes. God says, Listen to what Sarah tells. Obey Sarah. Through Isaac. Your succession is through Isaac. Next verse. Yes, Yishmael also will become a great nation. Kizarach, he is your son. So don't worry about Yishmael. He has the blessing, but he doesn't have the covenantal blessing. God intervenes here in the dispute between Avram and Sarah because Avram's not going to do it. He's not going to do what's evil in his eyes. It's not Avram. He's not going to send him away. So God intervenes. So the story of Sarah from beginning to end is about God's intervention. And that's what we call kingship, which is the theme of Rosh Hashanah. God is the king means it's God's world. God typically chooses not to intervene. God prefers that people make their choices. But sometimes people get stuck and they can't make the choice for whatever reason. And then God is forced to intervene to assure that the covenant will proceed as God wants it to work. God does not want Ishmael in the Chumash to be the covenantal successor. So the reading of Hashem Pakalit Sarah is all about God as king and the king who intervenes in human affairs. Because actually when you think about the theme of Rosh Hashanah, about God's kingship, God's kingship manifests itself, itself in two different ways. One is judgment, which is zikronot. 
Zichrona begins with judgment. But there's a third blessing, Shofarot. Shofarot means revelation. That means God, as God appears in this world, the imminent God, the God who intervenes in time and history. And that's the story of Hashem Pokadet Sarah. What's striking is that Sarah doesn't pray and Abraham doesn't pray. God intervenes nonetheless. In fact, in thinking about prayer, we don't have a single example of a woman praying for herself in the book of Breshit, not Sarah, not Rivka. In the case of Rivka, Yitzchak prays for her. It's true that the Midrashic reading of that verse is that Rivka is also praying, that when Nochach, across from his wife, they're both praying. But the plain meaning of the Chumash is certainly not that. It's Yitzchak praying for her, which is a demonstration, once again, of Yitzchak's love and concern for, for his wife, for, uh, for Rivka. That was a striking contrast to what we find in the case of, of, uh, of Abraham. But Rivka doesn't pray for herself, and certainly in the case of Rachel, though she makes great struggles to have a child, she says to Yaakov, Hopefully, Banim, which may or may not mean pray for me. Um, she, uh, she gives Yaakov her, her, her slave. Pilha, and Pilha bears two children, which Rachel considers to be her children. She negotiates with the sister about the mandrakes, all of that, but she doesn't pray. We don't find Rachel praying in the Chumash. And in contrast to this, we have the story of Chana, which is the Haftorah of the uh, second day, and there we have the exception. Chana actually prays for herself. And not only does she pray for herself, the husband doesn't pray at all. In fact, the husband says to Chana, why do you proceed with this thought that you might have a child? Forget about it. And remember, I love you more than ten children. So don't obsess about this, having the child. Okay. Consign yourself to your faith and... Chana refuses to do that. Chana enters into the temple of Shiloh and she does what would appear to be very unusual. She is crying and praying before God. So Chana represents the person who breaks the pattern. And Chana is the one who prays. And what is Chana's prayer? Why do we read the story of Chana? On the, second, on, the, on the Haftorah actually the Haftorah of the first day Chana is the Haftorah of the first day so the Haftorah of Chana of course Hashem God remembers Chana it says and it's related to Hashem although it's in contrast of course but what is Chana's prayer so what's interesting is that Chana has two prayers first she prays for a child she takes a vow. That means a commitment. Prayer is, at its core, commitment. She commits herself that if you give me this child, I will dedicate the child to God, which she does. Then after the child is born and dedicated, she has a, a lengthy prayer, which is the end of the Haftorah. And if you look at that prayer of Hannah, 
who rejoices in God after having a child, what is striking is that this prayer, 10 verse prayer, seems to have very, very little to do with having a child altogether. The topic is not a child. The topic is the way God runs the, runs the world or the way God desires to run the world. That is, in a set of contrasts, God raises up and God puts down, God impoverishes and God makes wealthy, and God in particular puts down the haughty and the arrogant and the powerful and those who abuse their power, and God raises up the meek and the humble and the disenfranchised. And Chana ends her prayer with, the God who does all of these things, God who will judge to the ends of the earth. God should give strength to God's king. And raise up the horn of the one that God has anointed. On the day of Rosh Hashanah, it's all about God's kingship. We speak of living in God's world. God is the judge. God is the king. The Haftorah of Chana, the prayer of Chana, is saying something about God's kingship. Saying it's true that God is king. It's true that we live in God's world. It's true these are God's values. God desires a a fair world. Everybody's treated equally and a world of compassion. But our responsibility as people is to make sure that our leadership, our kings, are reflecting God's values. So, it reminds me of the story, I think it was Abraham Lincoln, when they said to Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War, don't worry, we're going to win because we have God on our side. And Lincoln is purportedly answered, I'm not so concerned about having God on our side. I'm much concerned about we being on God's side. And that's what the Haftarah is all about, we being on God's side. Our obligation, our commitments, are to build God's kingdom on earth. Our obligations, of course God is king, but we also have a king. And this king, Hannah says, should optimally reflect the kingship of heaven. The human king should reflect the kingship of heaven and the responsibility of every one of us, says Hannah, beginning with herself, is to assure that this kingship of heaven takes effect. So on the day of Malchiot, the day of kingship, we have in the Torah reading of the first day, God's intervening in the world. That's a demonstration of God's kingship. But the Haftorah is an additional point that we as human beings have an obligation to strive to build God's kingship. Chana makes the effort to pray, which is totally unheard of, totally not what the matriarchs did. She, she prays and then she dedicates this child to God and she says, this child that I give to God with the intention that this child, Shmuel, the anointer of kings, will ultimately be involved in a leadership whose behavior and values reflect the kingship of heaven.